Let's, let's open with me, please, to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 7 through 15 this morning, finishing out the chapter, maybe, hypothetically. Um, but while you're making your way there, uh, if you remember when we began Titus a few weeks ago, uh, I mentioned that the book of Titus can be oversimplified and divided into three chapters and uh, three, three verses or three sections. And so chapter one basically speaks of godly leaders. Chapter two, which we're in the middle of, and we'll finish this morning speaks of a godly church. And chapter three kind of speaks about a godly witness to the world around us. And that's the kind of ideas that, you know, godly leadership hopefully instills the truth of the word of God and models it to the church. And the church is a godly example to the world, right? And that's kind of the idea and the thrust of the book of Titus. And that really makes sense. And so after speaking in chapter one about godly leaders, and by the way, he also speaks about the ungodly leaders and their influence. uh, Paul shifts in chapter two of Titus. He then focuses on the sound teaching of God's doctrine of God's, the word of God to the church. And so we saw last week in the first six verses, Paul addresses Titus and says, Hey, Titus, uh, you've got to train the church. You've got to disciple the church in sound doctrine. And we saw that in the first six verses, which I'll read right here in in verses two through six, he says, older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. And so he trained, he says, you got to train the older men in these things. And then the older women, likewise, in the same way, verse three are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Rather, they are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled and likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And so this is just a quick cross section of what Titus was supposed to be instilling in the body of Christ. And you saw from the youngest uh, to, to uh, from the oldest to the youngest there. And so a church that is being discipled in sound doctrine is going to actually have uh these characteristics of Christ likeness developed in the various stages that you find yourself in. Some of you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and, and there should be this level of maturity. <clears throat> and this is what Paul is saying. Listen, you older and younger, uh, you older uh, saints in the Lord, ones who've been walking a long time. Listen, this is to, you are to be these things. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard calling. I mean, have you want to be told what to be? And nevertheless, Jesus says, Hey, you're my kids. You've been walking with me for a while. Uh, you know, time to put the Tonka trucks away. Uh, and it's time to grow up and, and this is what we're to be. And so we're to be encouraged and spurred in these things. And, and we all fall short. We all know that, right? I mean, we feel that deeply in our own lives. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Just a few of you, I know Oscar, especially. So yeah, we'll pray for you. That's good. And so You know, one of the imperative uh, takeaways from last week is that uh, is to understand that the people as the people of God, we are to be committed to a life of discipleship. We're to be committed to a life of discipleship. All the word that discipleship is not mentioned there in chapter two, that's what's going on. Titus teach the church. Now, older women teach the younger women and and it's implied uh, for Titus, who was probably younger to teach the younger men to be self-controlled. And and so there's this implication of discipleship everywhere uh, that we're looking at there. And we're to be committed to a life of discipleship, whether you are old or whether you are young, you're to be committed to discipleship. I am to be Uh, both to being discipled and to discipling others. 
You know, you're either a Timothy or you're a Paul. And we're kind of both of those at any given time in our walks with the Lord. Amen. Hopefully we're learning from someone who's been walking uh, along with the Lord longer than us. And hopefully we are instilling Christ into those who haven't been walking as, as long as we have. And so that's a, that's a great reminder for us to be uh, devoted to discipleship. And that's what we saw in those first six verses, whether it was Titus teaching the older women uh, and the older men or the older women teaching the younger women. And and likewise, there was discipleship going on. And so after speaking about discipleship uh, in the church, in the various stages of people's lives or wherever they might be, uh, Paul moves his focus back from those being discipled to the one who was charged with discipling the church, the oversight of the church, which is Titus. He moves away from, okay, Titus, this is what you're to teach the church. Now let's go back to you about who, how you're supposed to do this, how you're supposed to disciple. And so that's where we're picking up in verses seven and eight this morning, where Paul tells Titus, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And that's, this is the point I want to pause and let's just pray for a second. Father, I, I pray that as we come to your word, we wouldn't simply let it gloss over our hearts this morning, that we would just cry out to you and say, teach me Lord. And so teach us Lord, teach us what it means to be discipled and to be a, someone who disciples other who's open to that. And God, We come to you knowing that we are unworthy of any of this, but we know that this is your will that we would grow in you and take what you've done in our hearts and, and freely give it to others. And so Lord, we ask that you develop this in the heart of this church of your body. And Lord, may it be according to your word and to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so Verses one through six, they speak of the person being discipled and we all kind of fit into one of those categories, right? And, but verses seven and eight speak about the one who is doing the discipling. If you look carefully at verses seven and eight, there's a couple key words that pop out there. Uh, Paul reminds Titus of two main components of discipleship. Listen, you have influence over other people. Do you know that in the body of Christ? Look around you. You have influence. There's younger people around you. You, you know, look in your families, look at people who have come to the Lord. They, they need people in their lives to show them and to teach them what it's like to walk in, in Christ. How many of you felt like there's a bit of deficit of that in your life and you're just kind of winging it. Anybody else besides me? Okay. Just me and Oscar again. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot Oscar. <laughs> I love you brother. <laughs> But really there's two components there in verses seven and eight that we look at two words that pop out modeling and teaching, modeling and teaching what you do and what you say. That's discipleship, what you do and what you say. Discipleship is modeling and teaching Christ to others. That's what it is. And 
That is what the role of someone who, who disciples another. Firstly, one who is modeling what Christ looks like in their daily lives. What does it practically look like to follow Christ? Listen, God is spirit. No one has seen him at any time. Right? And yet God was manifested in the flesh. Why was he manifested in the flesh? So we would see God. When we, and this is what Jesus's dialogue in John eight and other places like that, when he's talking about, Hey, if you've seen me, if you, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the father, what he does, I do what he says. I say how he would handle something is how I handle something. The ultimate discipler and disciple is Jesus Christ. Amen. Not, you know, and so he's the one who firstly, he modeled what Christ looked like. Uh, yeah, well, of course he was Christ, but he models what the father would have. And so uh, we are to be models of what Christ looked like. And as we're discipling others. And secondly, uh, one who is teaching, that's the second aspect. One who is teaching that's explaining sound doctrine. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Now, obviously you don't need to go into word studies and all this type of stuff with people, but you can explain things about Christ to others. How many of you have had to explain things about Jesus? And like, you realize you believe it, but you don't know necessarily know how to articulate it. Anybody have that? And so there's a tremendous amount of growth on being the, on the other end of it. When you're trying to explain the word of God to someone, you, you learn and you grow and it shapes the understanding of the doctrine in your mind. And you go, Oh, that's yeah. I kind of understand the essence of it, but now there's things that are growing on it and I'm doing a poor job of explaining it right now, but you understand this, right? The teaching is explaining the sound doctrine of the word, which is the basis for your actions, right? The word God tells us how to live and why we're to do that. And then we go live it out. And then we point others to what the word of God says about why we live and how we're doing that. And so we can pick a bunch up here from verses seven and eight about how we're to go about discipling others, because you and I aren't Tituses. We're not over a bunch of churches. I might be a pastor in a church, you know, and, and be accountable to you and that and the elder board and all that stuff. But we, we all have influence that God has given us in various ways. I know the scriptures list, let there be few teachers. Right. But we're all to be examples and models of Christ. And so while he's speaking directly to Titus and make no sense that there's a heavier charge here on Titus, but we can all pick up from this in whether it's in our discipleship with, you know, some of you have grandkids that have come to the Lord. They need godly examples. Some of you have had kids uh, just raising kids and, and bringing them up in the Lord and what it looks like to follow Christ and what, what it, in teaching them about the doctrines and, and what it means to follow Christ. And so whether it's parenting or whether it's being an example to uh, brothers and sisters at work who know the Lord and all that kind of stuff, there's an, there's an opportunity for us to disciple one another. And we're all called to spur one another on to love and good works. Amen. And so looking at this first part of verse seven, Paul reminds Timothy firstly of the model he was to be. This is all modeling, but he was to be a model. He was to be an example to the church. Look at, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now, Titus was called to be a model. And this is, this is the first component of discipleship to be a model. And the word model is also translated uh, to be an example. Some of your Bibles say be an example. That's, that's the great idea. An example. And it carries the idea 
Well, the original idea is something that is hit with an object and it's kind of formed and fashioned kind of like a mold. And the idea is that we've been molded from by, by the Lord, by the Holy spirit, by the truth of the word of God to the point where we are now an example of what it is to follow Christ. Although marred and imperfect, right? <laughs> we are under sanctification ourselves, but we're an example of what it means to have walked with Christ. We're a pattern of what it means to be a Christian. We're to kind of embody the truth. That's a high calling, isn't it? And, and, you know, me looking at that myself, there's no excuses. You know, I need to grow. Amen. And that's just simply allowing the spirit, Holy spirit to do uh, what he wants to do in me. Submitting myself to him, just trusting and obeying the Lord day after day, reading, uh, not only being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And God empowers us to do that. And so someone who's just allowed the Lord to work that in their life over a period of time becomes an example. And so Paul, if we look at the apostle Paul, wasn't he like the quintessential example I mean, he even said it himself like a bunch of times, but two of them, uh, he, he was, he was, he was someone who could say, Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. Uh, in correcting the Corinthians church, if you want to write this down, first Corinthians four, 15 through 16, we see Paul say, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you, you do not have many fathers for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. And Paul is just saying, hey, listen, now there's a bunch of theology there. There's only one father. We already know this stuff. He's just using an earthly example. So listen, kids have a tendency to mimic their parents. How many of you, you know, understand that? (laughs) You know, in, in, in the good and the bad, right? Yeah. But Paul's saying, listen, I've I've kind of become a spiritual father to you. Imitate me. Imitate me. Don't imitate these other turkeys that are out there. Imitate me. And Paul was an example of what it was to be a mature believer in Christ. And then later on, he finishes off the chapter, uh, the the, uh, scriptures there in chapter 11, verse one, Paul pleads again. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As I'm following Jesus, you follow me. Now that's a heavy call. Amen. And we all want to get there in our maturity, but that word imitate is where is, if you go into the Greek, it's the word where we get our word for mimic or mime, you know, the mime, right? As the father does. So I do. And that's the picture there. The idea is of being an example. It's, it's being molded by the truth to the point that our life is now an example to others of what it looks like to follow Jesus. What would Jesus do? We've heard that so many times. How, and and not only what would he do, but how would he do it? What would he say? How would he say it? How would he treat someone? All that kind of stuff. You know, a good question to ask ourselves right now. And I was just thinking of this for myself, but what do I model to others? What do I model to others? What am I mimicking? What am I showing? What am I teaching by how I live? By why? my actions. What does my life and what do my actions teach about Christ to others? That's pretty convicting. Looked again at verse seven, Titus was to show himself in all respects to be a model of good works. That's what he was to be a model of was good works. Good works are not superficial. 
They are genuine, true, righteous, moral actions that reflect the character of Christ. Pretty cool. And that's what God has created us to walk in, by the way, he's created you to walk in good works. Listen, his plan before the foundations of the earth was to take you from the pit of being an enemy and rebellion to him and walking in the flesh to now pull you over into his kingdom and put his spirit in you. Now that you would walk after him, that you would mimic him by the nature of his spirit being in you. That's, that's his plan to walk in good works. Ephesians 2, 10, write that down. This is Ephesians 2, just memorize it. It's awesome. Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is the word poema. We're his poem. We're his writing. We're his handwriting. We're his expression. Well, what does that look like? Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, man. God created you for good works. He bought you for good works. Now the good question is, well, what are those good works? Yeah. It's a good question to ask. Lord, show me what that looks like. Let me walk in them. And notice when did he prepare for you to walk in these good works beforehand, right? That we should walk in them before the foundations of the world is some of our, uh, is our, Translation say, man, God prepared before he bought you for you to walk in good works that you would mimic him in ways that glorify him. Titus was to show himself to be a good example to the church, right? Good example of good works. And this was to be proven in what he did. And this, and this verse seven was to be in all respects. Lord, I, I want to be an example of good works, but not those ones. Anyone else ever have like a deal with God? All deals are off. Like you've been bought with a price. Amen. Like not just at church. Like how many of you go, okay, it's time to put on my good works, you know, face and attitude. Let's we go to church. Right. It's like when you go out the doors too. Right. So in crowds at home, alone in business dealings in interactions with neighbors, with family, with strangers, with our enemies, with the government and so forth, the sound doctrine was to be shown in a sound life of good works. Amen. So firstly, part of modeling discipleship, man, we are to be examples of good works in every way. Pretty convicting, pretty encouraging too. God's planned them out for you to walk in them. Ask according to his will, read and then follow in obedience and faith. And God will lead you day after day. So firstly, we're to be a model of good works and discipleship. Secondly, discipleship is not only modeling, but it's teaching as well. We're to actually be good examples in what we say to others, right? Okay. No one. Yes. Yes. Look, look at the end of verse seven and eight with me. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So right along with being an example in our actions, Titus was called to be an example in what he taught. Now they're all thrown together is the idea. You're an example of everything, of, of, of not only what you do, but what you say you believe in. But I'm dividing it out here so it helps us understand We're, the way we communicate truth is important. The way we communicate truth is important, right? Doesn't mean you can't have fun and, and, and banter in a little bit and have fun with Oscar, right? Uh, we can't, that, that's not, that's not it. But 
Titus's manner of speech was to, to be in certain ways. It had three, three components to it. It was to have integrity, dignity, and soundness of speech. Think about this. You'd have integrity, dignity, and soundness of speech when you're communicating, uh, when you're, when you're discipling, when you're with others. And by the way, I think just in generally in life, that word integrity, first of all, it's kind of translated doctrinal purity. How many of your translations kind of give that idea? Doctrinal purity. And so what Titus uh, taught was to be sound. He was to be pure. He wasn't to tailor the truth to what he felt at the moment. He wasn't to veer off the truth because he's talking to someone and he didn't want to offend them. Does that make sense? The truth is the truth. He was to be sound, pure. Truth is truth. We're to, we're to keep to it. We're to stick to the truth, not shift from it. We're to rightly divide the word of truth uh, in our dealings with one another. And this is difficult because there's difficult circumstances, you know, and, and you want to be sensitive to the person that you're, you're with as you're maybe sharing these things. So you, you got to be sensitive to the Holy spirit and understand what they're going to, you know, I've had, conversations as a pastor where someone is, you know, they've just lost someone and they don't know the Lord. And yet they're saying, Oh, they're in a better place. You know, these are difficult. <laughs> you can imagine, you, you know, you, you know, you just want to kind of go in your, in your own empathy, go, yeah, they're, they're in a better place. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's not true. You know, oh yeah, Santa Claus is real. You know, I know we're getting it. Don't don't mess with Santa Claus. Uh, whatever you do, <laughs> that's I know, here we go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? You want to be tactful. You want to be kind and loving, but at the same time, is is you don't want to compromise the truth. You have to have integrity. Amen. So integrity in teaching, dignity in, te dignity is in his teaching. Titus would have dignity in his teaching. This has the idea of being able to distinguish what's important and what's trivial. Dignity. Understanding the gravity of what is taught and how to communicate that in an appropriate way. So being dignified in teaching. You know, um, it's, it's okay to have fun and, and to banter and those things and, and to be yourself and have personality, but not at the expense of undermining the importance of what you're communicating. Does that make sense? When things are important, we talk in important words. When things aren't, you know, you're free to roam about the country kind of a thing, right? But there's to be an integrity and also dignity. So being dignified in our teaching, understanding how to communicate it and what manner to communicate it. These are things we need to grow in because we're modeling Christ. And so sound speech is the, is the third part of our, of our speech, sound speech. And this is kind of a, a catch all. So Titus and that word sound is the same one with sound doctor. It's healthy speech. It's to be healthy speech. So Titus uh, said how, uh, so what Titus said and how he said it, no matter if it was before a church or if it was one-on-one -on -one or whatever environment it was, it was to be a healthy kind of speech. Does that make sense? It was to be healthy speech. And so discipling someone uh, is to be an example, both in what we do and what we say and how we do things and how we say things. Amen. That's what we're trying to model. We're not just trying to model truth. We're trying to embody the truth and not say trying. 
That's what the Lord seeks to do in and through us by the power in the, of the Holy spirit, by the grace of God. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what happened. That's how they, we got our name folks is in Damascus. They were just so much like Christ. They called them little Christ's. You're just little Christ. Aren't you? You're just like him. Aren't you? You're little Christians. They were called the way right early on. And then they, we become called Christians, little Christ, because we just acted like Jesus. May we live up to that name. Amen. May we model him and speak and may we grow in this way. Titus was called to model and teach in a way that could not be condemned by the church or the enemies of God. And so there was to be this maturity in him. The effects of being a model of good works and being a sound doctrine were, were laid out here. First, his speech wouldn't be condemned. There wasn't a foothold, right? And then verse eight, so that the opponents of Christ may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, this is the problem we have in the church. Amen. This hypocrisy, starting with me, right? What we say, not living up to what we do. Right? And the world looks at us and they go, nope. And I know their, their, their measurement is all messed up. We know that. And we know that we fall short of the glory of God, but there should be a trueness about us. Amen. A humility, a, uh, an authenticity to the point where Im- the enemy can't say anything good about us. Uh, it can't say anything bad about us. And probably both, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It can't say anything evil about us is what Paul's saying. Listen, it's not just a you. It's an us. It's a we. I'm a reflection on you. You're a reflection on me. Why is that? Because we're his. We're a reflection of him. May we be, amen? And this is Paul's admonition. Titus, be an example. Follow me in your speech, in what you teach and how you live. So the enemy who's around you, who's going to attack you just the way it is, They really don't have anything that sticks. Why is that again? Well, same thing for the admonition of the older women live after Christ in such a way so that the word of God may not be reviled verses three through five. Older women, this is what it means to be mature in Christ, man. Mimic Jesus to these younger women. Why? Because there's a tendency for sin. There's a tendency for, for hypocrisy, not just in older women, but in all of us. Amen. And then the word of God is reviled among the world around us instead of us being a witness to the world around us. So living and teaching in such a way that the word of God would not be reviled. And Titus's model was to be a model of good works and the truth he taught. And what would happen is that it would put the enemies, the opponents to shame. And I know there's a, there's a, 2022 version of shame and shame is a bad word, but the idea is it's going to convict them. We walk in the light and our goods deeds are done in such a way 
to where they have to glorify God, so to speak. Amen. They're, they're without excuse. They're put to shame. The light shines in such a way to where we don't even need to necessarily say a bunch of things. The way we're living is such a light that it convicts the darkness. And, and the whole purpose of convicting darkness is not to rub our, their nose in it. It's to bring them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's what he did with us. We were so convicted because of his righteousness at one point that we were changed. Like we're like, wow, I'm in darkness. You're in light. It became incredibly evident as the kingdom of God started to shine into our lives through someone, through the teaching of the word. And there was power there. The power was in the holiness and in the witness of the person testifying. God did that through someone. They shared the word of God with you and no, they weren't perfect, but you saw, man, they, this is true. Amen. And man, God wants to use this, this church and he does use this church. Um, and, and this is what he's calling us to, to be pure and undefiled in this age. And that's a work that he does in us. I don't think we can muster this up, but there is obedience, right? What he calls us to, he empowers us to do, but we must respond. Um, so discipleship is a tall order. So looking at the big picture of the chapter, real quick, pulling out in verses one through six, Paul speaks about what it looks like to be discipled. And then in verses seven and eight, he speaks about what it is to disciple others. Hey, Titus, be an example. Amen. And now in verse nine, Paul moves back to another group in the church. Okay. He moves back to another group in the church about how they're to be discipled. And this was an important group in the church. It was a, it was a huge cross section of the church. Look in verses nine and 10 with me. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but not, uh, but showing all good faith so that in everything, everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. Again, the church consists of like it does today, people of all ages and walks of life, right? That's what happens. But in Roman society, a huge cross section of those people were slaves. They were enslaved. That was the reality of living in Rome. So you had older men and younger women and you had all these people, but a lot of them were slaves. And so that was a huge impact on the church and the, the bond servants in their circumstances had to be taught. Well, how do I live in Christ now that now I'm a Christian and I'm in these cruddy circumstances? What do I do? Do I start a rebellion? Right? What do we do? And so the bond servants were taught and discipled to be, first of all, submissive to their own masters and everything. How do you think that's going to go across in the university today or in church or in society? What are we taught to do? Especially as Americans fight. And what does the Lord say here? Submit. Yikes. This is a very tall order. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time getting into slavery, but let me just say, hey, how many of you want to sign up for slavery? A lot of brutality going on and nothing that could be done about it. Most of the masters were obviously unbelievers and you can only imagine what a pagan culture influence had upon how you treated one another. And so there was a lot of difficulties that believers faced as slaves as bond servants there, regardless 
of all that Christian bond servants were called to be different, called to be different. They were called to be, to willingly submit to their masters for the witness of Christ, willingly submit to their masters. Now, all over scripture, submission is an indicator that someone is under the control of the Holy spirit. The first act of sin was an act to rebel against the authority of God in his word. Do you, do you see that? And all creation has gone in rebellion towards God. And what the whole plan of redemption is, is to go buy us back out of sin and rebellion and being far away from God and bringing us back into the kingdom, back under submission to God. And when we're back under submission of God, it flows out in all our relationships to one another. How does it flow out to relationships to another? Husbands are submitted to Christ. Wives are submitted to husbands. Children are submitted to parents. There's mutual submission to one another. People are submitted to their governments. All this kind of stuff is going on, right? There's a right correcting of our hearts as we're aligned with God. So rebellion does not glorify God, but to be clear, submission ends where sin begins. We'll get into this more next week. So a slave is to obey and glorify God to the point where it does not violate what God said. Does that make sense? So submission is not going, I'm going to submit because God tells me to submit. Well, what you're asking to being submit to goes against something against God. Does that make sense? And so we'll come back to that later. But the general position of a bond servant was one of what? Submission. Submission. And the attitude that they were to have was to be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Okay. It says there in verse, that's what it says in verse nine, be well-pleasing. This means acceptable. And it, and this paints the picture of, okay. He says, I want you to be well-pleasing. Well, let me show you what it's like to not be well-pleasing, to not be submitted. Does that make, sometimes it's great to paint a negative picture, right? To help you understand the positive picture. And so what does he say there in verse nine? He says, you're not to be uh, argumentative, Right. Let's go back here for a second. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative and not pilfering, not argumentative. How many of you are argumentative? Not talking back. Don't run your mouth. Don't seek to gossip, not undermining authority and stirring the pot with all their masters and all that kind of stuff. Right. And also they weren't to be pilfering. And so no embezzling, no skimming, no stealing, no taking supplies home, right? Listen, a slave, even though they were a slave, they were a slave to their master and they were put in charge of things. Think of Joseph over the house of Potiphar's house, right? And all that he was in control of, even up to everything, except for like the keys to the kingdom. Every, he had control over everything. So slaves weren't just Yes, there were people just working in the fields and all that kind of stuff, but they were, they were the whole employment mechanism of the Roman world. And so you had various responsibility. Don't take advantage of your position for your own personal gain. Don't steal stuff. No pilfering. Make sense? You're in, you're in control of their goods. They're not your goods. They're their goods. No cooking the books, all that kind of stuff. They were to be well-pleasing and show, showing 
Uh, all good faith is what they were supposed to be. What does it mean to be well-pleasing? Don't do those things. Don't argue. Don't steal. And by the way, showing all good faith, all good faith speaks of faithfulness. Be faithfulness. Be loyal is the idea. This is a tall order speaking to a slave. How many of you want to hear that? Ugh. So this is the opposite of what you'd expect a slave to, to do. You need to rebel. You need to fight. You need to cut them down. You need to undermine it. You need to take and crash their economy. You need to do whatever you can do to do that, to undermine them because you're in difficult circumstances and you don't deserve this. And this is wrong, but that's not what the Lord was calling them to do. Why? There seems like an, an injustice there. Why? Because there's got to be a greater good. Why? Into verse 10. So that in everything, the doctrine, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. Slaves had zero authority. They were not in the position to give their masters a teaching moment. They weren't sitting there saying, Hey, you know, come here. Let me teach you about what, how, how you're to manage this stuff. You just did what they said, or you got the stick or worse. So what do you do when you're in a position with no power? You model. You model Christ. You model Christ in their attitude of submission, in their Christ-like virtue. That's what they were doing. They were to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not doing that, but showing all good faith. When they did this, they were adorning the doctrine of God. They were wearing the teachings. Make sense? They were preaching by example. They were preaching by example. Some of you are in a position where you can't preach. Preach it. Preach Christ. Wear Christ. Amen? Wear it. Wear the humility of Jesus to the lost world around you. Christ was on display in them, the least modeling the greatest. How fitting. Amen? Our brothers and sisters. I love it. Now the modern equivalent to slave master relationship, that would be the employee <laughs> employer relationship. That's the only thing we can relate to. And it's not even, you can't even do justice. Okay. So just, just realize this is a, a poor equivalent, but if there is a relationship that could be equated there, we have employers. Now you're not under, you don't need to stay there forever and ever and ever. If you're in a horrible situation, you can pray and go and move. You have autonomy, right? Amen. Many of us work for unbelievers and many of those businesses that we work for, they reflect the ethics of the world, the way they operate, the way they do things, the way they manage people, the way they handle stuff, all this kind of stuff. Amen. Pretty frustrating. You can't do anything about it. Can you? Some of you might be under that impressive employer. You're going, Lord, and you're starting to pray prayers. You shouldn't pray. And while you're not a slave and you can uh, change jobs and all that stuff, consider this, consider your witness to them. 
Consider your witness to them. It's important. What are you modeling about Christ to them? What are you modeling about Christ to them? What are you teaching them about Jesus in your attitudes and your actions? Amen. Are you submissive? Are you the person that says, yeah, I'll do it. You're not undermining and arguing with them about how they want to do stuff and all that stuff all the time. How about you just be that yes man, that yes woman to help them achieve the objectives that they want to achieve. Say, yep. And if they ask for your opinion, sure. You know, may God give you grace in that moment. Amen. But just being a blessing to them and helping them accomplish what they want to do even though you would do it quite differently. Husbands and wives. Or do you argue and you undermine them? Do you take what isn't yours? Are you show or are you showing good faith? Are you adoring the doctrine? Amen. Are you wearing Christ? Listen, church, the plan isn't to get them to come to church. We'd love that. But Jesus said to the church, go. The plan is the church is going to them. Guess who the church is? Pastor Matt. He'll be able to explain things. Oh, you're it. You're the plan. I'm here to equip you to go. The elders are here to equip you to go. The Bible studies are here to equip you to go. You are the precious redeemed by the blood of Jesus, blood bought church of Jesus Christ. And his plan is that in your weakness, he would be strong. Amen. To humility. He wants to send you out as sheep among wolves. You're it. And it's not going to be by our might and by our power, but by our witness to Christ. You know, may we adorn Christ. Amen. May we adorn Christ. And so I think I'm going to hold off there. Then we'll go into the rest. Didn't get further. Sorry. But listen, there's a lot that's going on right now. Church. I encourage you to err on the side of grace but I also encourage you not to violate your conscience before God. If you think something's wrong and it's sin, don't go against it. But that needs to be clear. Submit in everything in all things, even if they're unreasonable and all that kind of stuff. It's difficult, but we've got to walk as light in the world and salt. We don't need to be like the world. This is time for us to really, really just spend time in the word and prayer and come to our personal convictions before the Lord that would glorify him and consider one another. Amen. That's the heart we want to have when it's all said and done. When we stand before our King, you know, I want to have as a pastor, I want to not have pushed my opinion on you. I want to drive you to wrestle with the Lord and, and have his word that you're wrestling with. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Praying for you. I know it's a hard world. 
And it's just so much pressing, pressing down on you. My heart breaks for you guys, you know, and all the things you face lately and all the stuff. I mean, a lot of people are going through it, but let me tell you, lifting mandates, having freedom is not the answer in the end. We enjoy those things, but Jesus Christ is the answer. People need Jesus. Amen. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Yeah. Father, you're so good. Thank you for your sweet word to us. It surely is like honey. It's, it can be bitter taking it down because of our pride and our selfishness, but Lord, let it seep deep into our souls and produce the fruit that would bring you glory. We are not of this world. We have been bought with a price. Glorify yourself through this little tiny flock. Forgive us of our stubbornness in some, time, in some ways and forgive us of just our ignorance of you. And teach us. Lord, you are so humble, Jesus. You, you, you are so long-suffering with us. Teach us to be like you. Teach us the ways of your kingdom. You constantly said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Help us to understand it. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and wills to move according to your word. Be glorified this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.